Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. It is good to be back. This whole week, Father Joe and I were gone. Some of you know, Father Joe and I were gone with all the priests of the diocese of Cleveland. We were on our priest convocation every two years. All the priests of the diocese, we do a whole sort of week-long retreat together. And uh, it was at Sawmill Creek out in Sandusky. And man, it was so good. It was so good. Not just because we were away from the parish for a week, but it was exceptional. I mean, you got 200-something priests of the diocese of Cleveland, and we, we hardly ever get a chance to be together as brother priests. Um, so it's, it's really something to have the entire presbytery, all 200 plus guys from the oldest guy in the diet, the, the, the oldest priest in the diocese is uh, Father Bob Poller, who's, I think he's 94. And it goes down to, you know, newly ordained guys who are 26 years old. So you got all these generations, all these different guys, and it, it was, it's wonderful. You got great talks, some good food, we had some good cigars, you know. It was, uh, it was a good, good time, really great to reconnect. It's amazing to be in a room, this huge ballroom full of, like I said, 200-something guys from all these different generations who, like, you just sit back. Like, I sat back, and I look at all these guys, and I'm like, man, every single one of us, like, at some point, these guys, even the crustiest, most curmudgeon of them, every single one of us at some point met Jesus in such an impactful and powerful way that they saw that the most logical thing to do with their life was to give Jesus their entire life, right? There's all these men who are priests who met Jesus, fell in love, and saw that the most logical thing to do is give him my entire life. Like that scene where Mary Magdalene breaks the alabaster jar filled with all that costly ointment and pours it out on Jesus's head. And it was Judas, it was Judas who said, we should have done something practical with that. We should have sold it and given it to the poor. But Jesus praised Mary Magdalene's prodigality, the way that she just wastes this costly thing on the Lord. Anyway, that's what I was thinking about all these priests. And what was so clear, what was so clear after these days together, is that priests love being priests. It's true. Priests love being priests. And priests love our people. I don't really know how else to put that. Um, you know, like when parents get together and you all like tell kids stories and like all that kind of stuff. Like priests, we come together, we tell parishioner stories. Some good, some bad, yeah. But what's so clear is that we love you. We love, we, the, the, the gift of the priesthood is, is to lay down our lives for the people that we get to serve day in and day out. You know, there was a quote that was shared in the midst of the, the conferences while we were away a quote from, that I've reflected on before, I don't know if I've preached on it, but from 2006, Pope Benedict went to Warsaw and gave a conference of talks to the, the clergy in Warsaw. And he said this about priests. He said, the faithful expect only one thing from priests, that they be specialists in promoting the encounter between man and God. The priest is not asked to be an expert in economics, construction, or politics. He is expected to be an expert in the spiritual life. I remember reading that. Shortly after, like, the first finance council meeting I attended at my first parish, and being like, thank God. <laughs> this is, like, I, I felt like the, the intern at the UN who wasn't given a headset at this finance council meeting. I'm like, 
I don't know what anybody is saying, but I know Jesus, and that's, I guess, good enough, right? To be a priest is to have an amazing life. Uh, I've preached this before, but like, again, parents with sons, my servers, listen, right? You get to spend your life introducing people to the Lord who is love himself, beauty himself. Like, it's just an incredible, incredible life. Yes, it's so hard, but it is so, so dang amazing helping people discover meaning and purpose and healing like we hear in this gospel. That's what I want to focus on today. Healing and restoration and reconciliation, bringing people back to life. That's what the priest does. Uh, It's so awesome. All of this was swirling in my mind when I was reflecting on the gospel for this weekend, witnessing these people encounter Jesus. Witnessing them encounter Jesus. The people in the gospel happen to be ten lepers. And they're standing, it says, at a distance, of course, because that's what you had to do if you had leprosy in the ancient world. It was prescribed under Levitical law that you had to stand at a distance. You had to have your head covered, your face covered, and you had to say, unclean, unclean! when you came anywhere near someone. So they're standing at a distance, but they say something different. They say to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Other translations will say, have mercy on us, which I think is the better translation. Eleazon me, Eleazon me, have mercy on us. And he heals them, but he does it in a very bizarre way, right? He doesn't He doesn't approach them or touch them. He doesn't say, come here, you're healed. He says to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they're going along, they're healed. As they're walking, they're healed. Now, of course, we know how the story goes. One of the ten, realizing he's been healed, I don't know how the other nine didn't realize it. I think you would have noticed. Anyway, the one realizes, comes back to Jesus, falls at his feet, and gives thanks. Eucharistein in the Greek. There's so many things we could talk about with this parable. It's like, on one layer, this is who we are. This is what we're doing day after day, Sunday after Sunday. We come to Eucharistein, to fall at our feet, to fall at the feet of Jesus, to give thanks. Right? We're, we're, we're consciously aware of the fact that we have been loved into life, we've been redeemed, we've been rescued, and like, it is right and just that we are here. Thomas Aquinas, his, his, his discussions of religion fall under the rubric of justice. That it is just that we are here. It is just. This is the right response to what God has done for us. So yes, on one level, this whole gospel is about gratitude. If you, ever, if you come to Mass on Thanksgiving, this is the one gospel you hear on Thanksgiving Day. right? All about gratitude. But that's not exactly what I want to focus on because that's not where the Lord drew my attention. It was this line from, from Jesus where he says, go show yourselves to the priests. I don't know if it's because I, was, I spent the past week with 200-something priests that this was on my mind, but this is what the Lord highlighted. Go show yourselves to the priests. So why does he say that? First question. What does that mean for us? Second question. Again, it's kind of an odd healing. It's an odd healing. Go show yourselves to the priests. Why does he say that? Well, because if you go back to the Old Testament, which is the cipher we always need to make sense of the New Testament, right? The old is fulfilled by the new. The new fulfills the old, okay? If you go back to the Old Testament, the role of the priest in the Old Covenant had a lot to do with 
I'm going to put it politely. Uh, he was like a quasi-dermatologist, okay? Which I'm so glad is not under the job description of the priesthood today, okay? There's chapters upon chapters in the book of Leviticus that describe the priest's role, him investigating. Like, the word pustule is used a lot, okay? And uh, I know we're still preparing our stomachs for donuts, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But he was an expert in color and hair and patterns, and it was the priest's job to determine, does this person have a normal skin issue, or is this something deadly, something dangerous, like leprosy? And if it is leprosy, it was the priest's job to cut him off from the community, cut her off from the community. Likewise, it was the priest's job, having investigated the skin, to say, you're clear, come back in. So this was all Old Testament basis, Old Testament background. And as the Old Testament unfolds, as God's revelation continues, leprosy becomes an image throughout the prophetic literature of sinfulness, of the inheritance of original sin, something that is deadly. Like sin is deadly, right? The wages of sin is death. Sin is deadly. It's contagious. Sin begets sin. Like we're a corporate body, right? My sin isn't just an isolated thing. It affects you. Your sin affects me. So it's deadly. It's contagious. And it cuts us off from God, from one another. And it's something I can't fix on my own. So what Jesus says, this is to the second question, what Jesus says is still true for us. Like our healing... The deeper level of sinfulness, our healing comes about when we show ourselves to the priests in confession. You know, next to the altar, the most sacred spaces in this entire church are right here. These two little booths that Father Joe and I sit in, that your priests have sat in for years. Go show yourself, he says. Go reveal yourself. Go let yourself be seen. It's, it's the act of vulnerability. It's the act of self-disclosure. It's in the humility. Like, that's what creates the space for the healing to get in. That's how our hearts were designed to work. Vulnerability, openness, creates the space for healing to get in. St. Augustine, centuries ago, in the writing in the 4th, 5th century, he said that the deepest desire of the human heart is to be seen and known and loved. And we sinners in this fallen world, we spend most of our time working really hard so as not to be seen, at least not seen truly. And as a result of that, we're left feeling like nobody really knows me. They only know what I let them see. And thus we are left always wondering, maybe on a deep unconscious part of our heart, am I really loved? Am I really lovable? If nobody really sees me, if nobody really knows me, if all they see is what I project out into the world, if what I, they know is what I let them know, how do I know that I'm really loved? And that's when the enemy whispers, if they saw that, if the people sitting around you saw 
your past, if they saw the highlight reel of your greatest vices, if they saw what happened when you were in middle school, if they saw what you did in high school, if they saw what you did in college, if they saw your young adult days, if they saw what you did this morning, nobody would really love you. You would be disqualified. That's shame. That's the voice of shame, which is different than the voice of guilt. Guilt says, I've done something for which I need to repent. Shame says, I am fundamentally flawed. There's something fundamentally broken and unlovable in me. And the enemy loves shame because with shame, the enemy can just manipulate us and use us. And with shame, he says, hide. That's what he did in the beginning. He has one play, and he does it over and over again. Genesis 3 is what he does over and over and over again. The immediate result of their grasping at the fruit, their disobedience, their sin is that they hide. They hide. And we, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we've been doing it ever since. Which is why confession is meant to be an answer to all three of those questions. Am I seen? Am I known? Am I loved? I've been reflecting on that this past week. Especially the gift of the priesthood. It is such a gift. Holy cow, it is such a gift. I'll catch myself sometimes, whether it's in the midst of Mass or in the midst of going to anoint somebody or sitting in the confessional, I'll catch myself and suddenly see myself doing priestly things and I'll just say, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe that Jesus, that you are using me for this. It is the most privileged seat in the universe to be a priest because the most beautiful thing in the universe isn't stars or galaxies or planets, it's the heart. And the terrain of the priesthood is the heart. The office, if you will, where we get to work are your hearts. And there's not a more beautiful place. But the reflection, oh my gosh, I can't believe you get that you are using me, that you, Jesus, who need nothing, are borrowing my vocal cords, my lips, my hands, my face, my voice, my body, my humanity to speak your words, to speak your personal pronoun, I absolve you. This is my body. Because that's what we believe, right, as, as Catholics, that when we go to confession, when I go to confession, I'm not sitting with Father so-and-so, I'm sitting with Jesus. You're sitting with Jesus. In persona Christi, right? That's what we say, the theology that the priest participates stands in the person of Christ. In the person of Christ. And in the confessional, you start sharing with Jesus. You start disrobing your heart, coming out from hiding. You start showing him the things that you spend all your time trying to not let other people see. Lord, I've done this. And I've done this, and I'm guilty of this, and I fail to do this, and I turn to this again, and this is part of my life again, and I can't believe it's the same confession I've confessed for the last 15, 20, 30, 50 years. Say, I wish I could just put, you know, bring the tape and hit play again. (laughs) And because we're so conditioned by this fallen world, we expect... We expect the rebuke to come afterwards, don't we, right? That's why we sugarcoat our sins. That's why we make it soft and sound like, well, it really wasn't that bad. I do this too. Because we're afraid what's going to be the response after he has seen everything there is to see. 
Because if we were to say that to any human being, certainly they would be like, like, what's that over there? And take off. We'd be canceled. I wasn't sure I was going to share this, but I want to share this. What I experience in my heart as your priest, as your confessor, when I sit in that box, after you shared what you shared, I experience wonderment. I experience a love that I don't understand. I don't know what to do with it sometimes. It's, it's so intense. There's often times where I'm so grateful that the person confessing is on the other side of the screen because there's just so much happening in me. I experience heartbreak for the sins being confessed because nobody wants to do these things. You don't want to be this person. So often these sins being confessed, they are, they're the coping mechanisms that you have picked up along the way to deal with pain, to deal with your heart, to deal with your life, to deal with the end result of so many people stretching all the way back to your earliest days, even in the womb of people failing to love you as you were meant to be loved. Because you weren't protected, because you weren't honored, because you weren't seen. That's Jesus' heart for you. That's his heart for me. His heart does not swell in anger at response to our sins. His heart swells with mercy in response to our sins. And it pains him to not have a place to expel it, to pour it out into us. He wants to put love into our wounds. That's what healing is. It's not when sins and memories and things disappear. It's when love gets put into a wound. And he cannot do that unless we open ourselves, unless we show ourselves to the priest. The healing that I've received as a penitent comes in the moment where you see Jesus gazing upon you after you've said everything that you think most disqualifies you from love. Because, friends, this is how it works. The enemy, he knows my name but he calls me by my sin. He knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. That's not Jesus. Jesus knows my sin. He knows your sin, but he calls us by name. Jesus didn't see those 10 men as lepers. He saw them as his sons suffering from leprosy. He doesn't see you as your sin. He sees his son or daughter suffering from the effects of sin. He makes a distinction like an oncologist who sees his patient and the cancer that his patient is suffering from. Now, some of you listening right now, maybe some of you haven't been to confession in years, decades. I'm talking to you. Jesus is talking to you. If you're nervous because you don't know what to do, Father Joe and I and every priest alive will walk you through it. Just imagine... If those ten lepers had just chosen to stay at a distance, if they had chosen to not approach him, we ought to stay away. We shouldn't draw near to him. 
they wouldn't have experienced the life-changing healing that comes from encountering Jesus. They wouldn't have experienced it. Friends, Jesus is here. The life-changing love of his heart is here. And he loves you. Oh, does he love you?